Good evening. If you are visiting with us, we are honored to have you here. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Juanice Floyd's with us tonight. It sure is great to have Juanice back. I know uh, Brother Doug Smith is under the weather tonight, so uh, keep him in your prayers. I have a few announcements before we get into our devotional tonight. The Freed Hardeman Associates will meet tomorrow night at 7 in the Annex. The Panama Mission Operation Christmas Joy Bags are due tonight. If you didn't bring yours tonight, Jimmy said if you'd drop it by the office in the morning, she'd make sure it made the shipment. There are two sign-up sheets for the Golden Circle in the foyer. One is for a Wheeler Lake Scenic Cruise in here in September, and one is for a trip to Nashville overnight, two nights in a motel uh, in, later in October. If you're interested in that, the sign-up sheets are in the foyer. The food pantry and the clothes closet uh, will be open tomorrow morning from 9 until 10.30. We want to thank the city of Boonville for repairing the drainage ditch behind the preacher's home. They really did a fast and fabulous job on that this week. It is now complete. The auditorium class tonight invites those that were meeting in the TAC, the adult class that was meeting in the TAC, to join them because Doug is at home sick, so your teacher is out tonight. In our service tonight, Brother Jeremy Jones will be leading the singing. Brother Wayne Taylor will have the prayer. I, I will have the devotional message. After the prayer, we ask that you remain seated. Jeremy will lead one verse of an additional song to allow the teacher's time to go to class. This time I'll turn things over to Jeremy. If you'd like, you can mark number 924 just as I am. That'll be our song of invitation, 924. Once you have that marked, we'll sing number 147, I Stand Amazed. And if you're willing and able, I ask that you stand with me as we sing this together. Number 147.
you ever wonder why we call becoming a Christian a conversion? You know, it's a choice to change direction and become a follower of Christ. On the day of Pentecost, it was a huge change. They went from being an accessory to murder. You'll remember Pilate said to them, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. And then after that, when Peter was preaching there in Acts chapter 2, he said, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So they went from being an accessory to murder to repenting of their sins and being baptized for the remission of sins. That wasn't the end of it. If you go down towards the end of chapter 2 and starting in verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. These saved people were acting differently. They went through an absolutely true conversion. There's another dramatic conversion described by Paul when he wrote to the church in Corinth. And the people there had made that choice to change direction in their lives and they became followers of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse nine, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Their change in direction had been huge. Now, I know they hadn't been murderers like they, those were on the day of Pentecost, but that list of sins is pretty dramatic and pretty specific. You ever think about how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is to be able to wash the sin of murder and all of those that Paul listed there in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter away. And if it will do that for, for that kind of sins, certainly it will do it for the kinds of sins that we have. Just think about Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus had captured Christians. He had taken them to prison. He had seen them thrown into prison, some of them killed, and he had stood, stood by giving consent to that. And yet Ananias said to him, Why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful. And if that's what you need, you can do that tonight. And you can be just as clean as Saul of Tarsus was and just as clean as those were on the day of Pentecost. Let's go back a little bit to that description in Acts, I mean in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, because you need to understand the context there. It seems that these people who had become Christians in Corinth were not following Jesus' instructions. You know, Jesus said that our behavior ought to be so that when people saw us, they'd see our love for one another and they'd know that we were his disciples. Well, they weren't loving one another. As a matter of fact, they were getting in arguments. There in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, they were in such arguments, they were taking one another to court. There's an expectation that when we are converted, that that conversion to follow after Christ is not just a one-time event. 
that conversion is something that is to continue all the way through our life. Now, isn't it wonderful that John told us that if we would confess our sins, that Jesus would be faithful to forgive us our sins. I hope that you've been converted and that you've stayed converted. But if you need to become a Christian tonight, the baptismal garments are here. The baptistry is ready. You can confess Christ before this group and having repented of your sins, we'll be glad to assist you in baptism. Or if you need to confess sin so that you can get back on track and continue to walk in the light where the blood of Jesus Christ will continually cleanse you, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing. Father, we approach your throne of grace to give thanks for this day and the many blessings without number that you've given us. And we're thankful, Father, to be able to assemble here to worship you and your songs of praises to you and to hear another portion of your word and the lessons we're about to receive, Father. We pray, Father, for our teachers that you will give them a ready remembrance of the lessons they prepared for this this evening and that we as listeners might apply those things that they teach us to our lives as need be. We pray for the sick, Father, especially those of this number, and we pray that you'll give Brother Doug and all those mentioned in our bulletin this evening and those we may not know about a, a swift and sure recovery. We pray that you'll go out with us now throughout the continuances of our service this evening. Guy, guard, and direct us. Be with us to the end of our lives. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our teachers may uh, pass and prepare for class. We'll sing number, th uh, number two. We praise thee, O God. We'll sing the first verse of that as our teachers uh, are dismissed. Number two. We praise you, O God, for the
other class. This is going to be a repeat for you. So you're the star pupils tonight. You already know everything. Yes? Yay! So welcome, and I'm sorry that Doug is under the weather. He has that virus we don't even like to talk about. So hopefully he'll recover quickly from that. I think he's got some light symptoms, primarily a headache and so forth, but we'll be praying for him in a minute. Along with these others, Irene Baker, that is Melinda Hester's mother. She has terminal cancer. Martha Eaton's doing a lot better uh, with her foot, and we're very thankful for that. Austin Wentz starting to going a long regimen of chemo treatments. Terry Green had his surgery and is recovering from that, so we're very thankful. And Stevens has several health issues, as does Don Dawson. Kim Fowler had surgery for her foot and is in recovery for that. Connie Mooney is recovering from hip replacement surgery. Sue James has cancer. Quitman Wigginton is at Landmark. Uh, Wade Davis is still missing. We're just praying for closure for that family. Carolyn Wilcutt's recovering. Catherine Floyd's undergoing rehab at home. Uh, Melinda Hester broke her shoulder, also injured, injured. She broke a bone in her foot. You know, go to the doctor. Doctor says, oh, we don't need to uh, check that. You didn't break it. And then three weeks later, you find out it's broken. I've heard that story I don't know how many times, but that's what happened with her. Marianne Holly had surgery for the, a huge brain tumor. She's recovering from that. Charlotte Moore's grandson, Baylor. Bobby Petty. Eric Fitzsimmons has blocked arteries. They're hoping through medication and then his own body's recuperative powers that he'll be able to get the blood flow back. Uh, Ed Smith is just living with this kidney stone. Doesn't think it's passed yet, so it's just going on. Tough people around here. Coley Floyd is recovering from his shoulder surgery. Steve Morgan is going to be having open heart surgery, I think, tomorrow. Sue Hodgen was suffering with a kidney stone. Has that resolved itself? Tommy Nix had a stroke. That's a friend of the Johnson's. Uh, Doug's dad, Kelby Smith, is not well. He's going to be going through some rehab. Bob Hassel is Jody's brother-in-law. He had surgery last week. Uh, Cody McGee, uh, he is recovering from surgery for his foot. He was involved in uh, the accident up north of us. Renee Page is going to be having, I think, lung cancer surgery. Did she have it? Okay, today. All right. Okay, so there are three lobes, right? So they that they took out they took out the central lobe or lung. Yes. Okay. I thought there were I think there are three lobes. Yeah, I guess they have not. Oh there's a middle one I think there were like they probably have to be three if you took out the Yeah. Hey, see, working together. Look at this. Look how this goes. Uh, the Wall family, I remember them in um, it's Diana, isn't it, in her death? And that, that has really shook uh, West Main Church in Tupelo. Uh, our daughter, Casey, uh, found a, uh, some kind of a lump, and they had to do a biopsy of it and haven't gotten the results yet. So as soon as we get that, I'll share that with you. Uh, Randall and Vera Mooney, they have had COVID. Vera was hospitalized. Margie Bray is Larry's sister and she's been sick. Uh, Matt McVeigh, who is Sue Mason's great nephew, uh, he had some equipment fall and crushed his toes. They were fearful that he would lose those toes, but they did surgery, put in a bunch of pins and so forth, and they're hopeful that he is going to recover from that. Uh, and Sue's out tonight, she's not well. We mentioned Doug, uh, he has COVID. I'm sure there are a lot of others that you know about that are also suffering with that. 
it is great to have Juanice here with us tonight. And also, um, Sister Mooney is back with us tonight. There she is. Look. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so we're very, we're very thankful that she is, she's been sick for how many weeks now? Two weeks. So we're, we're grateful that Myra's back with us. You have anybody else? Yes, Brenda. study in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 2 tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your blessings today. Beautiful day. And I pray that all of us have exercised our faith and our interaction with others, and we've just demonstrated our Christianity. We pray, Lord, now as we've assembled here that we've been encouraged by just seeing one another and uh, spending time talking about sometimes just mundane things, but it's great to be with our family in the middle of the week. And we thank you that we can have this devotional period. We can uh, share with one another our concerns of those who are ill and also to study from your word. We pray, Father, that you'll bless these folks that we've talked about. We're glad that Juanice and Myra are back with us, and we're just praying that you'll stabilize their health. And we pray for Doug that he'll do well and be back with us real soon. We pray for Irene Baker that she'll have good quality days. Bless Martha Eaton that she'll have a full recovery. Bless Austin Wentz and strengthen him under his treatments. Please bless Terry Green as he recovers from his surgery. Be with Ann Stevens and Don Dawson as they both just have illnesses they deal with continually. Bless Kim Fowler in her recovery. Pray for Connie Mooney that she'll have a full recovery. Bless Sue James in her battle with cancer. Be with Quitman and just give him good days over at Landmark. We pray for the Davis family that have suffered so much with the uncertainty surrounding Wade's being missing. We just pray closure for that family soon. Bless Carolyn Wilcutt and Catherine Floyd and their recovery. Bless Melinda Hester that she'll have good use of her shoulder and her foot soon. We pray for Marianne Holly and her recovery. Bless Charlotte Moore's grandson Baylor that he'll have a full recovery. Be with Bobby Petty as he battles lung cancer and Eric Fitzsimmons as he's struggling with the circulatory problem. Bless Edward Smith with the kidney stone and Coley Floyd that he'll recover from his shoulder surgery and do well. Bless Steve Morgan as he has surgery tomorrow and Sue Hodgen as she has had this kidney stone. We pray for Tommy Nick's family as he suffered the stroke and we pray he'll get the treatment he needs. We pray for Doug's dad, Kelby, who's not been well and we pray that his rehab will go great. Uh, bless uh, Bob Hassel as he recovers from his surgery. We pray for Cody McGee as he's recovering from foot surgery and 
uh, for the emotional distress he's going through. We pray for Renee Page as she's had surgery, and we pray it's all a success and rids her body of this disease. Be with Vanessa Williams, who has leukemia. Be with the Wall family in Diana's death. Pray for Casey Wigginton that she'll get good results soon. Pray for the uh, Randall and Vera Mooney, uh, who've both had COVID, and we're glad they're doing better. Please be with Larry's sister, Margie, as she's been very ill. We pray for Sue Mason's nephew, Matt McVeigh, that his body will respond to his treatments and he'll do well. We pray for Casey Thompson, who had a procedure today, and we pray it was successful. Be with uh, Steve Burns as he mourns the death of his wife. And we pray for uh, Rob Lambert's family and we pray for their comfort. We ask, Father, that you'll bless us in our study tonight, that it'll be profitable to all of us and not just instructive that we can learn, but also in the sense that we can know your word well enough to, to share it with others. And thank you for the privilege that is to be the means by which another soul can be saved. Help us to see the opportunities around us and help us to act on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Uh, last time we started in on verse 38 and looked at several scriptures together. In fact, um, you know, Peter is responding as Jim uh, shared with us just a few moments ago. Those people were guilty of killing their Messiah they came to the realization of that and they wanted to know what they needed to do. And so Peter takes the opportunity to tell them, you know, that's, that's what this is all about. That's why Jesus died in the first place. Uh, not only had you taken him with your lawless hands, had crucified and put to death the Son of God, but it was according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God that those things had happened. So all of this is happening in accordance with the will of God, but Keep in mind, you are responsible for it. All that had to happen because of the kind of people that you are. And so in response to that, I take it they're terrified. They're cut to their heart. It's an emotional thing that's happened to them. And we talked about being cut to the heart from the standpoint of 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10, wherein it is godly sorrow that produces the repentance that leads to our salvation. So they felt bad now about what they have done to God. And they're sorry for that. But I mean, I've done this to God. So what in the world could I do? Well, you can do this. You can repent of it. And that repentance is going to lead to salvation. So repentance then was another topic that we were discussing a little bit. And we realized that it's not just simply turning away from something because I could turn away from one bad thing and turn to another bad thing. But it is in response to godly sorrow that I want to please God, right? So in pleasing God, I'm going to turn to his way. In this case, I'm going to turn to Jesus. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to change the way I think, the way I act. And the kind of action that I'm going to be involved in now is action that's dictated by the Lord Jesus. In fact, there is a phrase in here that's pretty important. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What does it mean that something is done in the name of Jesus Christ? It is done by his authority. Do you know if Jesus even has the authority for this? You do, don't you? Right? Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptizing them. Okay. In that case, he says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In that case, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is into the family of. When you're baptized into Jesus Christ by his authority, into whose family are you baptized? Into what relationship? with God, right? Now think about how significant that is. You were separated from God because you did what? 
you sinned and you were compliant with the death of Jesus. You say, well, Ken, before I ever even knew about Jesus, I was in sin. So I didn't really, whoa, stop right there. It is sin that put Jesus on that cross. Whether you realized it or not. What? Yeah. Did these people know that they were guilty of that before this day right here? But it didn't make them any less guilty, did it? No, they are guilty. You did it, he said. They're like, whoa, we didn't, we didn't realize. So since now we do realize, now think about that. I was ignorant. I didn't know. But I was still what? I'm still guilty. And then by virtue of my guilt before God, I'm still L-O-S-T, lost. Now that I realize I am guilty, think about this now. Once they found out, they said, what do we need to do? They didn't say, we will deliberate about this for a while. You know, I'm just not so sure I'm really responsible for it. No. Once they came to the realization that they were guilty and that they had crucified the Son of God and they're going to die because of it, then they acted. They said, what do we do? And he says, well, there are two things. Repent. That's what we talked about, that change. And now I'm going to go in the right direction. I'm motivated by my godly sorrow. I'm cut to my heart. And then he says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by the authority of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Why were they being baptized? In order to receive the remission of sins. He said, if you do that, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. There's several lines of thought relative to it. But I want to continue those ideas. Uh, one, one thought we had was, well, it's indwelling spirit. Every, every person who obeys the gospel, they have the promise of the Holy Spirit. And uh, one text that identified that was Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17. In fact, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, sons of God. Okay, I like that idea. I, I don't want to... Uh, run off the spirit in that regard. And, but then another thought was, well, yeah, there is the indwelling sense of the spirit, but maybe he doesn't literally dwell. Maybe he dwells like Christ dwells in us, Ephesians 3, verse 17, by faith. But one thing, whether you believe one line or the other, one thing that we do know as a fact is that that reception of the spirit was not miraculous gifts. In this text itself, chapter 2, verse 43, we find out that the apostles were the only ones doing the miracles as they had obeyed the gospel. In chapter 6 and verse 6, and that's with regard to those select few who were going to be administering the goods to the Grecian widows, those guys had the apostles' hands laid on them, and they were able to work miracles. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, on that occasion, it's the Samaritans. They didn't receive the ability to work miracles until apostles were sent from Jerusalem, Peter and John, to come and lay hands on them. Uh, it also happens in chapter 19, the first seven verses, where you have Paul meeting up with these guys who had been followers of John the Baptist. They had been baptized, but they hadn't received anything in regards to the Holy Spirit. And they said, we don't even know that such a thing existed. So he baptized them and then he laid hands on them to impart special gifts. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, we found out that Paul laid hands on Timothy, remember? Okay. And then in Romans chapter 1 verse 11, that's an interesting one because Paul is writing to a group of people he's never actually met before who are members of the church. They had obeyed the gospel. He writes this great treatise on faith and the church and just an amazing, amazing writing. But as he begins here in this verse, he says, boy, one of the reasons that I would love to come to you is to impart to you by the laying on of my hands, the Holy Spirit, this gift I want to give to you. Wait a minute. Why didn't they receive that when they were baptized? Well, they received some impartation, whether it was by indwelling or by faith, that aspect of the spirit that identifies with us, Romans 8, 14 to 17, but not miraculous ability. Paul said, in order to receive that, I've got to do what? I've got to come 
to you. Okay. Now he says, for the promise is to you and your children, those who are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now he has expanded the horizon, right? He says, it's not just for you people today, but it's also for who? Us today. Okay. It's for you and your children and those who are far off. Remember Acts chapter one, verse eight, we're going to begin Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth, the rest of the world. Paul is going to become the apostolic agent. I kind of like that. The apostolic agent uh, through which the gospel is going to the Gentiles, right? That's going to be his primary work. So the gospel is going to, but as many as the Lord our God shall call. When has the call stopped? Well, it's still going, right? Question would be, first of all, well, wait, what is that call? In fact, he talked about the call uh, earlier in our text. Uh, he'll talk about that call in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, Rick, you ready? Second Thessalonians. I caught you unawares. We should always be awake and ready. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Let's write this up here for everybody. Yes. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to, uh, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Simple question. How are you called? By the gospel. The call of God is through the gospel. What is God calling you to do? And by the way, he says this is something that has been a long time coming. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, he says that it was from before the foundation of the world. So this is something God has had in place forever. Okay, you are called by the gospel. God calls you out of the world through the gospel. Where were you before you ever heard anything about the gospel? We're in sin. We're dead in sin. But we have transgressed God. We are guilty. These people, boom, whoa, wait a minute. We are lost. What do we need to do? He will call you out of that through the, the gospel. What's the gospel? Quick review. 1 Thessalonians or 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3, death, burial, and resurrection. You partake of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through what act? Romans 6, 3 and 4. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the form of which, a form of doctrine, Romans 6, 17 and 18, which is this: baptism. We're buried with him, we in his death, and then we that old man stays dead and then we rise up a new creature. That is the power of the gospel. That's God's call to us. So when we respond, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, what happens to us? Okay. 1 Peter 3 verse 21. The like figure unto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just getting wet then, is it? It's not just, you, you don't get in that water and wash, literally wash the sin off of your flesh. Where's the sin getting washed out of? Out of you. And when you went into that water, you believed that God was going to do what when you complied, when you obeyed? 
You believed that God was going to wash your sins away when that happened. Then when you come out, are you released from your sin or not? It is, it is the answer, the response of God to a good conscience. I did what you commanded. God responds by doing what? Doing exactly what he promised. Which then brings us to this statement, which I find just to be completely beautiful. And that is, following all that statement about repentance and baptism, he says, for the promise is to you and to your children, those who are far off as me as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is to you. Now, if I'm a Jew and I hear the word promise, I immediately come up with something. And what's interesting about that is that it also can fashion our understanding of what just happened with regard to the Holy Spirit. Because he says that the promise, what promise? In context, well, he's just, just been talking about if I would repent and be baptized, that... Um, I would receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then that promise is to you, not just you, but everybody, not just Jews, but to those who are far off. This promise. Uh, would you read for us Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 to 18. Actually, this promise is stated several different places. The first time is Genesis chapter 12, but this text has something unique in it. Genesis 22, 16 to 18. And, and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his, shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Okay, here's a beautiful, powerful thing that you don't see in the English that's going to be explained to us in the next text that he's going to read to us from Galatians 3, verse 16. While he's getting that text, I'll share, with something, share something with you. You heard seed used three different times through that text. Some of that seed had to do with all these descendants that were like the sand of the seashore, the stars of the sky. Who are those people? Literally, his descendants. There's going to be lots of them. But he said, in your seed. Now, when he said seed about all those, the multiplicity of those who are going to follow after him, he uses a plural word for seed. When he talks about the seed by which the whole earth was going to be blessed, he actually used a singular form of the word. What would be the significance of that? Well, for one thing, when he talked about these vast generations, he's talking about millions, potentially millions and millions and millions of people. But when he talks about a singular seed by which all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, he's not talking about millions and millions of descendants. He's talking specifically about what? One seed, one descendant. Now, here, I'll just go, go ahead and give you a heads up. The promise is made to Abraham and that promise is going to be fulfilled in this one seed. So literally speaking, the promise is basically to two people. Originally to Abraham and secondarily to whomever that seed is. Right? You follow me so far? Now what does uh, Galatians 3 verse 16 say? Now to Abraham and his seed were the Wait, promises stop right made. right there. To Abraham and his seed. Interesting Again, he's using a singular form of this word, not a plural one. So he's referencing what promise? That original promise that was made back there in Genesis 22, 16, 17, and 18. Okay, keep going. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as, as of many, but as one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Whoa! Okay, who is the seed that fulfills the promise that God made to Abraham, oh man, thousands of years ago. Who is that? That is Jesus. Now, the promise is with regard to salvation. In this one seed, in the one seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not in the multiplicity of salvation is of the Jews, but salvation was not in the Jews. 
Salvation is not in all those seeds. Salvation is in one seed who came out of all of that genealogy of Judaism. All of that happened to bring one seed into the world. And he says that one seed is Christ. Now here's, here's the beautiful thing. He says salvation is only in the one seed. And then in my little, little mind, I might think, oh, boo. Well, then that means that I'm not Christ, so no promise for me. Hold on. What is verse, uh, read verses 26 to 29. Children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Whoa! Did you see that? Let me ask a simple question Where is salvation found? in only one place, in Christ, because the promise of salvation was only guaranteed to the one seed, right? So salvation is in the one seed, chapter 3, verse 16, which is Christ. He says, though, that through baptism, you enter into what? Christ. Thank you, Jim. You enter in, is everybody with me? You enter into Christ. Wait a minute. If I'm then in Christ and, and only in Christ is where the promise of salvation is, then if I'm in Christ or I've put him on, then am I saved or not saved? I am saved because he says also that we have become one in him and we have become partakers of the promise. Wait a minute. I thought the promise was only for Abraham and the Christ. It was. But when you are in the Christ and that promise is in him, then guess what you have? You also have the promise by virtue of being in him. Now question again, how do we get in him? Well, he told us right here in this text. You get in him through baptism. Question, can you be saved without baptism? Shake your head this way. No, you cannot. Because you can't get into Christ unless you are baptized. Isn't that what that text said? And in fact, we find out that that is a whole process. It's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You aren't saved before you do that because salvation is not outside of Christ. Salvation is only in Christ. You say, well... There are all these hypothetical questions people have about salvation. Here's what I know about salvation. Either you are in Christ or you are outside of Christ. The book of Ephesians talks about being without Christ. That phrase without Christ does not mean that you just don't have him. That means you're on the outside of, without, on the outside of Christ. So here's the thing. Either you are in Christ or you are not in Christ. If you're in Christ you are saved because you have become a partaker of the promise. If you are outside of Christ, what? You are not saved. Salvation is in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not saved. The only way to get in Christ is through faith in Jesus Christ and baptism. Yes, baptism. Is that, is that simple? In Christ. Uh, where are all spiritual blessings? Ephesians 1 verse 3. In, in Christ. Okay. So, whoops, sorry about that. And with many other words. So he didn't stop there, but that was enough. According to the Holy Spirit, that's the meat of it. Now he talked about some other things, but that's the meat of the sermon. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, you are lost. You realize that? They're like, yeah, we do. So what do we do this? Be saved from this perverse. What, does a, what is a perverse generation? What does that mean? Uh, some, some translations have untoward. <laughs> I like that. I don't know, that's a fun word. Untoward generation. It's perverse generation. 
a generation of people who are in sin. Be saved from this sinful. You are in sin. Be saved from that. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Wait, why were they baptized? They wanted to be saved, right? He told them how to be saved. Those who gladly received the word. If you receive the word, what have you done? I've accepted it. I've accepted this truth. And on the basis of this truth that I've received, I want to be baptized. So those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Had an interesting question today about that adding. Added to them whom? Who are they being added to? 3,000 are baptized on the day that the church is established. So who are they added to? Okay, uh, there were 120. Uh, actually, if you follow what we've been, really the conversation is between Peter, specifically the apostles generally. Um, had the church been in existence before this event that's taking place right now? The answer is no. So you can't say that they were added to a church that already existed because it didn't exist yet. That was this event. Actually, it's interesting, we don't hear about the church yet. We don't hear about the church, the called out, the ecclesia, until the very last verse of this chapter. So I want to suggest this. If we look at the word added right there, it literally means to become part of the company. Become part of the company. Question, did we already have a company of disciples who were dedicated to this? Well, the apostles, there are 120 that are, are with them. There's already a group. He's not saying the church already existed. He said these people who are obeying the gospel are coming together with the ones who are already on board. Now, when were the apostles baptized? When were the 120 baptized? Does it seem logical to you that if you have to be baptized to be in Christ, and Peter is asserting this with some great fervency that whether or not we have the record of it specifically or not, didn't those apostles have to be baptized into Jesus Christ to be saved? Yes, they did. What about the 120? Didn't they have to be baptized into Christ to be saved? Yes. You want to be in Jesus Christ, what do you have to be? You have to be baptized. So I don't have any doubt about that. So I'm just getting the sense that this is a general review of what's happened. 3,000 people responded. They were added to them. Them whom? Well, those who are comprising this following right here, right? That's the way I take it. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, the Breaking Bread, and Prayers. Wait, stop right there. So we're in the Apostles' Doctrine. That sounds kind of like preaching. And Fellowship and Breaking Bread. That, that sounds like Lord's Supper, maybe. And Prayers. Sounds like, a, sounds like items of worship, except there's one missing. What is that? Remember Doug's little thing he goes through. Oh, singing. We're singing. What happens in verse 47? Okay, they were praising God with all the people, right? They're praising God. Uh, you look up that word, guess what praising God is? Well, among other things, that would be singing. Okay, Rick, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, and also verse 26. Uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, 26. All right. For I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Okay, what were they doing in that assembly? They were, among other things, they were singing. And then verse 26 also. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Okay. You have a song because you, well, in that case, where'd they get it from? These people were specially endowed, right, by the laying on of the apostles' hands. Okay, so I, I believe there was singing, praising, going on verse 27, uh, 47. It says that 3,000 of them gladly received his word. I thought, when I've, the first time I ever read that, I went, 
Wow, 3,000, that's amazing. Okay, let's see how amazing that was. So it's estimated Jerusalem permanently really didn't have that many people living there. Most people lived all over the place, other places. But when there were these feast days, Jerusalem was packed, okay? So those people who research such things suggest that there could have been anywhere from 600 thousand to two million people maybe in attendance at this amazing event in which all in which Jews from every nation were present so the gospels preached to the whole nation of the Jews uh, that's that's an amazing amount of people now if you take 3,000 who responded um, 3,000 is 0.15% of 2 million. 3,000 is 0.5% of 600,000. Okay? I thought it would be fun to take that conversion scenario right there and apply that to us. Okay? So, for instance, in Boonville, Boonville, 0.5%, I'm using the 0.5 because that's kind of the closer, you know, if you're going with a smaller number of people. Let's just give us the benefit of the doubt, okay? Let's help ourselves out a little bit here. So if you take 0.5%, half a percent of, and the last census that I saw said Boonville City actually had 8,500 people. That's 43, okay? And Prentice County, if you want to go, which we're representative of people all over this county and, and maybe part of other counties, but if you just take Prentice County, 5% of 25,000 is 125. Okay, so we have a membership of what? Let's shoot for the moon and say 400. Want to? Let's say 400 because we got people at home. Um, hey, wow, are you excited? On the day of Pentecost, yeah, woo, 3,000. But that was only half a percent of the people who were there. We have impacted over the course of how many years has this church been in existence? This congregation right here? 120? Wow. Okay. Over the course of, I was hoping you was going to say like 50. <laughs> okay. However long it's been, we have, we have grown the Lord's church here to 400. Okay? In the course of that. Here's what I'm saying to you. On that first day, in equivalency, if, if the gospel had been presented to the Jews of all nations, and there were only 25,000 of them, wow, we'd be way ahead of that number. Woo-hoo, we're doing great. But wait a second. That was on the first day. Would you conclude that we're doing great? I would have to honestly conclude we're not doing that great. Because... This group that started on the first day with 3,000 ultimately got the gospel to whom? The whole world. That was their responsibility. Now, come on, Boonville. Seriously. We're way ahead of them. If we just started today, let's just, let's wipe out 125 years or however long it was. Let's just start right now. Let's just say, just for the fun of it, the gospel was first preached at Boonville today. And we had... 400 conversions, boom. Then what we should do is start from today, right here where we are, and we're way ahead of them now. If we started today, is it possible that we can reach the whole world? Please just say yes. Yes, we could. Can, can we do it? Yes, we can. Will we do it? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. I mean, come on, let's think big, right? Let's do this like they did. That's really why we're studying Acts, isn't it? So we'll be motivated to do what they did. Okay, so they, they were on fire for that. Their, their, verse 43 says that fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles because they had that ability. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions good, divided them among all as anyone had need. Did they care about one another? Yes, they did. Did they see to one another's welfare? 
Oh, yes, they did. So continuing daily, not just on Sunday and Wednesday night, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, having faith with all the people, and the Lord added to the church. Now watch this. Daily, those who are being saved. Quick question, who is it that was being saved? Those people who were in Christ. Isn't that how you're saved? Isn't that how you have your sins forgiven? How did they get into Christ? They repented and they were baptized because repentance, belief is a prerequisite to obeying the gospel. Isn't that what Romans 1.16 says? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Stop right there. The gospel and obeying the gospel is for whom? For the people who believe. Can you be in Christ and not believe in Him? No, you cannot. Can you be in Christ and not repent? No, you cannot. You have to do those things in order to get into Him. Those people who did that, the Lord Himself added to the church. They didn't vote on it. It's like, oh, poor Luther. I'm sorry. I saw him give some vegetables to Ken, but he didn't give me any, so he's out. It, is it dependent on my vote, whether he's in Christ or not? No, it singularly is dependent on whether or not he did what? He obeyed the gospel. He believed, he repented, he was baptized to get into Christ because Christ is the one in whom the promise is. Yes? Yes. Thank you for your great... Attention tonight, let's have a quick prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time of Bible study and opportunity to know more about your will. Thank you for the simplicity of it, the way you just, you just lay it out here for us. Help us to be really wise in the use of this truth. And uh, just like they did, motivate us to grow this church and this community. Help us, whether anybody else does it or not, help us to reach this whole world for you. In Jesus' name, amen.